Hello, this is Jeff Vanderstelt, Executive Director of Saturate and host of the Saturate podcast. Saturate exists to serve and equip leaders to start and strengthen unified gospel city movements that lead to gospel saturation. To the end that every man, woman, and child has repeated opportunities to meet Jesus through his church on mission everywhere and every day. Now we believe this is, will require, as Jesus prayed in John 17, that the church is unified together in a region and collaborating around five key initiatives, which we see the Apostle Paul working out in Acts 13 to 14. And those are citywide prayer, leader health, or strengthening the leader, disciple-making strategies, serving the city, and starting new churches and new kingdom initiatives. Today, we're gonna to be talking about leader help, but also disciple-making strategies and serving the city because the person I'm gonna to talk to is really doing a lot of the same kind of work that we're doing with Saturate. In fact, we have a lot in common, and uh, therefore, um, I think we share similar passions, similar convictions, and even similar practices. But I think one of the unique things about uh, our guest today is that he's working a lot more in the majority minority spaces than I am. And so I'm just really thankful and happy to have Dahadi Lewis with us. So Dahadi, first of all, welcome. So glad you're here. Yes, Jeff, I really appreciate it. And you are right, birds of a feather flock together. You have been a hero of mine. We've been connected. You've spoken to my staff, my team. Man, it's you are the, the real thing, and I just really appreciate. It. And it's an honor to to jump on here with you. Oh, thanks, man. I appreciate that. I've I've always enjoyed every time I've gotten to spend time with with um, anyone from Boulevard, anyone from Blueprint. It's always been a joy to be with you. And I'm sure a lot of our our listeners know who you are, but for those who don't, uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about you, a little bit about what you're doing, and the organizations that you give your time to? Yeah. So. Um... You know, just last year, I stepped down. I was the vice president in, of SID Network with the North American Mission Board, where I had a great run. I was actually on staff at SID Network for about 14, or not 14 years, since 2014. And it was just really an amazing time where I had the opportunity to start off with them first just um, planting churches in the urban context. And over about a period of four years there, I was able to plant over a couple of like 100 churches in majority minority spaces. Now, after that, um, then became the vice president and over Sin Network and the Lord through Sin Network, we were able to plant over 500 churches a year, you know, overseeing that network. And really it's just been great. But in 2021, I just really felt God releasing me and saying, like, you know, I, I like releasing me from my burden because my heartbeat is like, I want to be the last generation to leave the urban context for sound discipleship. And so for me, that has been my North Star and everything that I've done. And so in 2010, we planted a church called Blueprint Church in which I was the lead pastor and I'm still serving as a pastor, one of the pastors there, primarily on teaching and strategic partnerships. But um, I've been doing that in Blueprint Church. It was about establishing a blueprint, planning a blueprint. The definition of a blueprint is a plan or a process that's used as a guide to start something new. And we wanted to embrace the beauty and the complexity, the density, the diversity of city. And um, and we wanted to see that reproduced. And so we did that. And then also in 2011, very early in our birth, we started a thing called Rebuild Initiative, which we now know as My Boulevard. And so we, that's really what we're doing. And My Boulevard 
is basically it's the vehicle that we use to accomplish that mission to be the last generation. And so our goal, and you know, you talk about gospel saturation, is like we want a gospel centered church in every urban community across North America. You know, and so that's really our heart and our heartbeat and what we want to see take place. And so. Yeah, so this is kind of, I've been doing that for the last year and a half. And what we do is we really kind of have two audiences. We kind of have one audience is the church planting audience. And, you know, and that uh, the, the disciple maker, the nonprofit, the people that are trying to do the work in urban communities. But then the second audience is like network leaders, denominational leaders, and we come alongside them that want to make an impact, understanding that the world is changing. And we want to come alongside and say, how do we help you consult you to recruit, retain, reproduce urban leaders, uh, you know, in that context. And so that's been what I've been doing. And, and it's really excited. It's, it's a joy. But at the core of it, it's about disciple making, disciple making in the urban context. And, and that's really kind of the, the, the core of what we're doing. What would you say are are some of the things that you've seen that have gone well over the last several years in the urban context? Things that you've helped people learn and successes you got, maybe some success stories that you could tell about. You know, and that word success is always like, what, what do we mean by that? I guess you know. Let, let's say it this way: if you look back, oh man, this was like a win. This was something that gave me great joy. Uh, I got to really rejoice over this particular story or this situation, like. Help us help us see a little bit of what it is you're doing and some of the successes or hope or joys you've been having. You know? Yeah, well, I mean, just the other day I was able to celebrate a a church plant that we planted. They were celebrating five years. And what was exciting about that church plant, they just recapped their history. Now, in a five-year history, they have planted a church in another urban community. And that church planted a church. And so it's just like just to see that in a five years like Blueprint Church was able to become great grandparents. And so just seeing that type of type of play, um, reality fleshing out. And so I, you see that type of gospel saturation, that type of um, planting, because, you know, I, I just, I'm just a firm believer that there's something about churches being planted. And I know Keller came out with some stats years ago, but just talking about like this, how new churches in new community in communities is one of the fastest way that we're able to saturate the gospel and get the gospel out, you know, and, and doing that. And so that is definitely a huge success. I would say another success is just seeing the fellowship. One of the things was I remember in 2001, just how lonely I was and isolated because I looked around and I was just like, I felt like a third culture kid in many ways, you know, it's just like either I was around a group of people who understood my context but didn't have the same commitment to mission and theology and discipleship, or I was around people who had the same mission and theology, but they didn't understand my context. And I felt like this third culture kid. And I, I would say one of the biggest things that I'm celebrating is the fact that, you know, urban practitioners is not, is not as lonely as it was when I first, you know, started this in 2001 and, you know, and started basically was called to full-time ministry. And so um, seeing the environments and things. And so even now we're like, we're celebrating, we're going to be doing, our, I think our fifth um, conference this upcoming October 19th through the 21st in Atlanta um, called, you know, my, my Boulevard Conference. And just, you know, just, and that's just a gathering of urban practitioners. And a big part of it is like, you don't have to be lonely, mm -hmm. right? It's like, and just being able to create, because I mean, we can produce content and get it to them, but it's just like, part of it is, there's this the relational 
aspect of it. So we like to try to establish relevant and relational tools for people who are making um, disciples in the urban context. Yeah, it's interesting when you talk about loneliness. It actually is probably one of the biggest um, problems, I think, in a lot of ministry, uh, regardless of the framework you're in, whether it's a, a inner city, urban context, or whether you're in a suburban. I mean, it just seems like no matter who I talk to, that's a common problem amongst many leaders in the church. And so I'm curious, um, not only you have this conference that you're and I'd love to talk a little bit more about that in a minute, but not only do you have this conference that you're pulling together, but what are some other ways that you are seeing, um, you know, engaged, some some initiatives you're engaged in or practices you're involved in that are helping deal with the loneliness of leaders? Yeah. So we're, I mean, we have done, like last year, we were able to gather a couple of gatherings around, like roundtables. We do a church planning cohort um, you know, we do two, we have them pr- pretty much across the country now. And so la- we've been doing them um, in Atlanta the last few years. Um, and But now we are going back and we're going to be doing them regional. So next year we're, we're going to have some, we're going to have one, some in Philly. We have, a, a, you know, people in, you know, Philly, St. Louis, all the way to Texas and Mississippi. So we're just having those places where these are kind of regional hubs where people are able to gather together, you know, and connect with other leaders. And, and so we do a cohort, you know, and this cohort is a five month cohort where they come down for two or three days. And, you know, and so we do dinner together, we wake up, you know, we connect and it's relational, but then there's also good content, you know, and where we're kind of walking through some of the principles and practices of making disciples through the local church in the urban context. And so it's a church planting, but, you know, it's, but it's also just a refreshing time for leaders just to connect. So just trying to find those lightning rods, uh, trying to be a lightning rod for people to come together and to gather, you know, where you don't have to just be lonely. You don't have to be, and I would say more so not just lonely, be isolated, because I think that's ultimately, because, you know, once we kind of get into like the the impaired expression of our loneliness, it kind of ultimately for a lot of guys, it, it leads to that isolation and that leads, you know, which is getting away from, they just become numb to their loneliness and it just, and it becomes just get it done, just get mm-hmm. it done, um, avoid from any real authentic relationship. Yeah. I'm I'm curious. Um, one of the things that I know that you're passionate about is really helping people not only be connected and not lonely, but also experience their 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 potential. Really get to realize who they who they are, what they're called to be and do, and to really maximize that. What are what are some of the things that you have found to be helpful when you're working with leaders to help them really? see who they are, begin to step into the the full potential that they have and begin to live that out? Yeah, I mean, so there's a lot of like, we, we really talk about like, how do you become the person that God has made you to be so you can do the, you know, the things that God has called you to do? And I think in a lot of ways, you know, we need to understand that God has called us to be a confessing and repenting people and and being a confessing and repenting people. Like I like to talk about confession as a willingness to tell the truth about what's going on inside. 
you know, and are we willing to tell the truth about what's happening, what's what's taking place? And and what we do is that we, you know, we've used um, a, a diagram that uh, was, uh, I think, started by Chip Dodd called The Voice of the Heart um, in the book, The Voice of the Heart. And he just gives eight feelings, eight emotions, and it just helps us to express and really being able to answer two great questions is what do I feel and what do I need? Right. What do I feel? What do I need? And then that ability um, to do that. So we we call it known 360. And in known 360 is just like, what does it look like to be known? And what we've taken that um, Chip Dodd, he was a, a clinical, um, um, I think, psychologist or. But what what we do is that we says, like, what does this look like to take that in the context of the church? Because so often, you know, when you go to therapy, which I'm a fan of um, with counseling and all of that, the problem is, though, is that like part of that client relationship is built on the fact that you're not supposed to know one another relationally. But it's just like, but what does that look like when you are going to see them next week and the week after? And, you know, what does that look like? And, and, and what does it look like for the church to create space for us to actually connect with one another in that way on a heart level. And so what does it look like, whether it be through DNA groups or creating those types of structured environments where we can tell the truth about what's going on inside um, and embrace a life of repentance, you know, in doing that. And so doing that, so we have helped churches kind of establish that within their framework and and that. So taking um, what started off was more of a clinical model and bring it into a local church discipleship oriented model and creating that space. So doing that on all levels. So we do that with leaders. We do that, you know, so a lot of our environments, a lot of our um, things that we um, create is creating that space um, for for people to engage in that in a healthy and honest way. Have you guys created different tools to help them do that? Or is it uh, more of like a training that you provide or like when you think about coming into a church to help them build those spaces, what what are the ways that you've helped them do that? Yeah, so we have created a, um, a tool. One is online. Um, it's, we, we, it's, it's called the city syllabus and that is our online platform that you can go and look at. And, and we have the, one of the parts of the city syllabus is known 360. And so you can go and look at known 360s. But we have also taken that in, there's a couple of things where we bring leaders, you know, and do kind of like a mastermind in the sense of just kind of helping them find space that they can process their their own grief and loneliness. And then also second is like, how do we help them take it back to their context? And so we do that. We've also go to churches and put on seminars and things for for people. So those are some of the tools. We're we're only a year and a half in. We we look to build out a full like a curriculum, but right now it's kind of captured in a master class. Some we have the ability to do some one-on-one coaching and then some and then we have kind of like a mini retreat that we can come and do like a one two day seminar, you know, at at people's churches and environments. Cool. Now, just to pause there, where where, do, where would they go if they wanted some of that online, uh, access to the online resources? Yeah, my boulevard, it's my, M-Y-B-L-V-D dot C-O. So okay. my boulevard dot C-O is where you would go to find that, you know, those resources in there is where you would find like all the things that we do from coaching, consulting, training, um, although it all, and you also find uh, the city syllabus and the city syllabus is our online platform 
where we could get it. So everything that our goal is everything that we can teach, you'll be able to do it online or you can do it with uh, via a coach. You know, a coach can come alongside you and do one on one training or we can do it. And what our greatest preference is a cohort based format. Yeah, I think that's actually one of the best ways to learn. I think we've found that consistently at in the cities that we're working in. When you can get them in learning cohorts together, you not only you not only have shared learning, but you grow and you have a, a, an ability to connect at a relational level. And people grow better always in a relationship. We, I mean, that's just the nature of discipleship. So, yeah. I am curious as you as you think about some of the work that you've been doing, whether it's in the urban context or some of the online uh, coaching consulting work. What are some of the challenges that you guys are facing? Maybe some it's like post pandemic. You know, like what are some things you're facing there, or maybe unique to the context that you're in in terms of urban spaces. What are what are some of the challenges you you're facing? And then second, let's talk about like what are some ways that you're addressing those challenges. Yeah. Well, I would say I think one that is kind of more general um, is the emotional unhealth, right? The the trauma that we all just experienced in the last four years, right? All the way from a pandemic to riots to so many things like that has happened in D.C. and things of that nature, protests, civil, like we're all kind of going through and trying to figure out, right? And all the while, many of us had to face and deal with most of these things while we were isolated and alone by ourselves and could not have human contact, you know, because churches were closed and all that. And so I think one is that like now we're, as we have established this new normal, we're like trying to figure out. So Seeing that with a lot of leaders, seeing the amount of pastors that I've left, I think Barnett talked about over 38% of pastors are no longer pastoring. They didn't shift their careers. They are no longer pastoring. You know, we see that the church. And so one of the greatest issues that we that we have seen, especially in kind of majority minority spaces, and especially the African-American church, that is hit, has been hit the hardest in terms of people coming back. You know, and I, and I don't know all the, the reasons why? But the African-American church is um, has been the slowest church to get back, uh, to come back, you know, and and it's just and it just is. And I think there's I mean, I have a couple of theories about it, but I think that is. You yeah, know, what do you think? It, why do you think that's the case? I mean, I well, think I, mean, I think it's across the board that a lot of churches are having people not seeing a lot of people come back. And I've got thoughts about that, too. But specifically the the black church, like what is it about? that space that you're seeing maybe is, and again, it's probably theory at this point, but what do you think it is? Yeah, well, I mean, I think one is our, the church, especially the black church in the midst of like, we had the pandemic, but then also in the midst of just kind of what took place between the Republican and Democrats and things like for the first time in history that I would, that I could know that there was no prominent Black figures standing up saying, hey, giving us direction. And I think in a lot of ways, the church lost credibility, you know, in a lot of ways. And I think during that time where things were going crazy with the Southern Baptists and they, you know, all type of stuff there, then you had kind of like, and then there was like their vitriol and hatred many times to like the BLM, you know, and where, where, Church, especially black church pastors, wasn't totally on board with what was going on there. They also did not come, 
you know, but they wasn't on board with what was being stated by like prominent people. And I, I'm using Southern Baptist because that's the denomination I've been affiliated with and a part of. But I mean, it's a, really across white evangelicalism. They're like on one side, they're not associating with that. But instead of the church coming out, um, we just remain silent. And I think there was a lack of, there's been some distrust, you know, already that's going on with it. And so you're hearing about people deconstructing, like everybody is deconstructing, but then also not only deconstructing, they're also decolonizing, right? And um, and so you, you're hearing these, these words and these terms that are coming up. And, and so that's, I think that's a huge part of it. And so in a lot of pastors and leaders are trying to figure out where do I land? Where do I stand? Because if I say, no matter what I say, half of my church is against me or don't like the stance that I've taken. Like I'm not divorcing myself from white evangelicalism. That's a problem. Then are, I'm not supporting BLM. That's a problem. And this is kind of like everything is a problem where the culture is, like where people land on critical theory. That's the tension that people have. And I was like, no matter where you land on it, like our culture today is like, that's what people are being taught. Like, so like my daughter approached me and says, dad, because you leave in the Bible, you are a homophobe, xenophobe, like, like, and it's just like, just because you believe if you have a stance and it's like, if you're, it's not enough that if you're not for me, then you are against me. And that's basically the very core of critical theories, like an anti, like, um, for or against it's like, is we got to go back to the system that propelled it. And so now everybody is kind of leveraging this. And so like, what we need to do is raise up missionaries that are speaking to this, you know, to this day. And so I think that's another reason why like the church has not come up with an answer for that. Another reason why minorities, especially blacks are not coming back to the church right now. So, so it's interesting because you said there's like not a prominent voice. And is, is that part of it where like the black church is going, Hey, we've got, we've got cultures definitely talking quite a bit about it, but the church is not talking openly about it or hasn't figured out a way to appropriately address it in a way that's, um, unifying. I mean, cause you did, I mean, we found the same thing to be true. Like I, my, the church I led wasn't predominantly white. It was a, a mix of Asian, Indian and, yeah. and Anglo and definitely African American as well, but certainly not, we wouldn't be a black church. And, yeah. but even in our context, it felt like it didn't matter what you said, you were going to lose half the church. I, yeah. That did happen to us. But I do think what happened it, from my observation is they just went to other churches mm -hmm. that agreed with them. But are you saying in general, the black church didn't, they left and they didn't come back to any church. Yeah. They didn't come back to any church. And again, this is all anecdotal, but yeah. this is as I'm talking to many friends, many pastors, there's so many pastors that I know that like they still are not even going like they're still meeting virtually. I know like there's actually churches that are still meeting virtually. There's uh. churches that are still masked up and quarantined, you know, and separated that I've talked to many pastors who said that they're 30% of where they were pre-pandemic, you know, of what they're currently, you know, what they were before. And so just seeing this and then, you know, and I also talked to Ed Stetzer and um, I think it's James Meeks and just talked about even their church. And so he is a prominent African-American pastor and just kind of like seeing that. And so seeing that over and over again of pastors that in the in this pandemic, in this very politicized and cancel culture, 
all of those worlds that it has, I think, in a lot of ways, it has caused the African-American church to, like, in fear of being canceled or in fear of being, has made us irrelevant in a lot of ways. And we are not speaking. And so between that, the distrust in the institution already, that is kind of already kind of prevailing in our culture right now, um, all of those factors are are hidden. And so like even Blueprint Church, we've like when we came back, we took off a year, you know, in Atlanta regulations, we took off a year. Then we came back after a year. And um a lot of our um Anglos, Latinos, everybody came, but the African Americans were the slowest to come back. They're just now starting to come back to wow. church. You know, and you know, there's many factors is the pandemic, but it's also our affiliation with Southern Baptists. And so we had a we had a lot of hurdles to run. And that's why I tell people all the time, I was just like, I'm SBC by conviction, not convenience. I'm not SBC because it does me better to be SBC. But the also the thing is that in a divided world that we that we live in, if we can in the largest denomination if we can show unity in the body of Christ, that we don't have really anything to give, and, you know, and it's really I'm trying to manifest in a lot of ways what um, Ephesians chapter 2, 10 and 11 says is like that we are Christ's workmanship created for good works and where Christ is demonstrated in the, the wall being torn down between um, those divisions, the parties, the groups that we have. And so, yeah, so in a lot of ways, that's kind of where where we're at. And so like I did a, a series called Why I Stay, mm. you know, and it's just like, it was a series on why I stay, you know, connected to white evangelicalism where the right now, everyone is like, leave loud, leave, you know, it's like, that's kind of the the prevailing um, thing that's going on right now. And so, but I was just like, I think, you know, and I gave, and I interviewed um, a couple of individuals of just different people that are minorities that, stayed in white even stayed connected with white evangelicals and so got connected with the people all the way like um Sue Chan Ra to Crawford Loritz to um, Brian Loritz and just so and this other people of saying why do you stay in a in a day that it's easier to leave. So what was it that you shared in terms of the advice or counsel for why you decided to stay in and not just leave like so many others have? Yeah, well, I mean, I think one of the major problems that we have is the problem of race, that race is a a primary problem in America. Most of our major denominations have separated over the issue of race, whether it be the AME and CME and Church of God in Christ and Assemblies of God and, you know, Southern Baptists and that, like all of that. And so one of the things that I recognized and I'd say my advice when to give to when to say why I stay is because it is like we have to address the issue of race and that if we're going to make disciples in North America, we have to address the issue of race. And part of that, the the tension that I felt, especially during the pandemic, was that it's not, hasn't become a real problem to people. And one of the things that I constantly talk about is that a problem is not a real problem until it's your problem. And something becomes your problem for two primary reasons. That's proximity and the other one is relationship, right? If I'm not around or close, then it's not a real problem to me. Or if it's not, if I'm not in relationship with you and and, and we've lost both of those things, right? And and I think that has become one of the things. And so I was just like, if I leave, 
the SBC or, or as a church, then I was just like, we cannot give what we do not have. And so we, uh, you know, I'm just committed. And I say that I'm SBC or in Blueprint Church is SBC by conviction, not convenience. It's not because it's better in evangelistic. It is because like if we don't have something to give and if we can't reconcile what has historically been known as one of the most racist denominations, you know, historically, it was just like if we can show the reconciling work of Christ in the SBC, then we have something to give, you know, North America. And, you know, and so that's really been my my conviction. And so that's the reason, you know, why why we why I stay and some of the reasons that, that we've, you know, I captured that on um on the YouTube channel. Yeah. You know, it's interesting when we talk about gospel saturation, one of the big things that we emphasize is the John 17 prayer that Jesus prayed. Father, as I'm in you and you are me, may they be in us. May they be one so the world will know that you sent me. And it it's imperative that we are not divided in order, not only for mission, because the world is watching and they're asking, wait a minute, if you're, if you're divided, how in the world can you say that God, the Father, God, the Son, God, the Spirit were united in this mission that we uh, explain in the gospel? So not only is it missionally important, but theologically we're telling a lie about God by our very division itself. We're saying that God is divided in the Godhead. And I know you you wrote a little bit about this in a, a book Um and I, I think it's some of the th- some of the points of that book are really helpful. I think in this conversation, um, yeah. tell us a little bit about that book and just the perspective of, of Paul to Philemon. Yeah, so I mean, I wrote a book um, as you're referring to a book called Advocates, and I just named it Advocates. And uh, the book of Ad, I mean, Advocates is, comes out of the book of Philemon, and where you see this tension between a runaway slave. And his um, and a prisoner. I mean, in his former slave master. In Paul, a lot of times we look at the oppressed or the oppressor, and who's right and who's wrong. But instead, what I think that the Book of Philemon gives us is the third vantage point, and it's the vantage point of the Apostle Paul. And you know, and I believe I put him in the, the place of an advocate. And and in there, basically, I, I see that there's three principles that we see that comes from that you see him demonstrating number one is to rely on Christ in prayer. You know, it's just that he is depending on Christ and his work to do what only God can do. The second one is to run to the tension. Paul could have just said, uh, you know, it's not my problem. You know, let's just kind of, let's just keep the gospel going. Let's just, you know, and not even address it at all, you know, but Paul's like, no, let's run to the tension. Right. Let's run to the tension. But the the third one is, but let's run with the heart of reconciliation. Right. And so when Paul runs to the tension, he's not just trying to go to get stuff off his chest, you know, but he says that I'm coming as a brother reconciler in Christ. And he charges both Philemon and Onesimus, right, to treat one another as brothers that he used to be a slave, but now he's a brother. And so we see this kind of reconciling work. And it just, it just says consistent with Paul and his theology in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, where he says, Christ has given us the ministry of reconciliation. He's using us as his agents and our message is be reconciled, right? And um, and that's both the first to God, but that ultimately leads to our reconciliation to one another, that we no longer see one another as, according to the flesh, but mm-hmm. we see us one another in the same way Christ 
Um, and the way see, the God the Father sees us is through Christ. And we're new creations. Mm-hmm. And so I just think that we have to, we have to preach um, theology, but we can't just preach our theology solely as theologians, but we got to preach our theology as missionaries, understanding, especially in a world that is so divided and is so against one another, we have to do that. And I think, and so I talk a lot about like, how do we recapture the art of hospitality? And I love Henry Nowen's definition where he says, hospitality, you don't do hospitality to change people. You do hospitality to create space where change can take place. And I think that that is critical for us to create space where change can take place. And so instead of telling people what to do and what to say, we got to create space where they can be present and they can be real and they can confess and they can repent and, you know, one to another so that we can, you know, love one another. And so that's, so that's the heartbeat behind it. And so again, the, the, the three principles that we give in the book is rely on Christ in prayer, run to the tension and run with the heart of reconciliation. Mm. Well, what you said there about hospitality and quoting now and is really, really important. I mean, you, We've we've already talked a little bit about the idea that there in in this last couple of years and in particular around the subject of and problem of racism, there's so much trauma and mm-hmm. and you, you know you talked about that that we're coming into this space with our trauma and then what happens is our emotions we don't even realize that we're over we're we're overreacting in a lot of cases to the moment because trauma as Many have talked about trauma doesn't have a timeline. So whatever did happen at some point in our life is happening in the moment. At least that's how our body's feeling it. You know, the fight, flight, um, freeze, which you you referenced. Um, I'm curious, and th- this is really just this true curiosity. <laughs> how? Because I, I come at it from a different place than you're going to come at it. I'm I'm a white male who's had. Well, like it or not, I've had a lot of privilege, you know, and so I'm not going to, I have trauma in my life, but it's not around this topic. My trauma is mm-hmm. around some other things. Um, how do we follow Nowen's advice in creating a safe space to have these conversations? And then, I, I mean, I think that's why you're, you're, you're not known 360 is really important in terms of like learning how to confess where we're really at and what's really going on. But like, I've been in these moments where I can tell trauma hap- is happening. Like people are experiencing the moment and having traumatic experiences because of probably past events. How do we create those hospitable spaces to have these conversations, do you believe? Yeah, well, I think as leaders and as people who are trying to create spaces, the first thing is just what you said, create a safe space, right? And then once you create that safe space, you have to create commitment to that space, meaning we're not going anywhere. We're going to stay. Right. And once you create commitment to the space, you got to start laying some of the foundation. Right. One of the things in laying the foundation, I tell people all the time, I say, number one is that we have to be able to have the freedom to speak the truth in love. Right. Speak the truth in love. And see, and when we speak the truth in love, we recognize that that ability to to do that. And so, like, because in understanding that we all are coming and speaking from our past. So we're not just talking about what's going on in front of us. We are, we are all pulling from our past and our past is informing the things that we're saying. So, but, and then I tell them, I said, there's two things that you have to recognize is that people are people, you know, and what I mean by that is that 
that we are all made in the image of God. The only way I can tear you down is if I dehumanize you. And I can dehuman, and people, we have been able to dehumanize one another because of your your view. Oh, you're a Republican? You don't care about me. So I can dehumanize you and make you less than a person. So I got to, one, bring people back to the Imago Dei, right? We are all people in here, right? And then the second thing is that everybody has a story, right? And then so that we all have stories. And and during this time, sometimes I do this, I don't do it all the time, but I'd say, hey, there's a reason why 80% of white evangelicals are Republican. And it's the same reason why 90% of black Christians are Democrat. And I said, it's because we have all been discipled and we all have a story, right? And so, you know, and so I talk about it and I just show them of how the narrative of none of us landed because we have objectively read the Bible and have come to these conclusions. But we have come to these conclusions because of the environments that we're in, the disciples that we're in, the stories that we've been and so recognizing those things and so really trying to create space. So after you kind of lay that that foundation and, and it's at that point that we says, now let's talk. And in that talk, we, we do um, talk about, like we use the words, the known 360. We say, I, I'm hurt, I'm lonely, I'm sad. I'm, you know, and so we try to make the conversation about our experience instead of me um, projecting on you um, and telling others, right? And so we say, again, we talked about like, this is a a harm-free environment, right? We like, harm is when I am either intentionally trying to hurt you or I don't care if I hurt you. But if I speak the truth in love, you may get hurt. Like you are guaranteed to experience pain in this conversation because it's a hard topic. So we can't, so you will be hurt, uh, but you will never be harmed. And if you are harmed, we will come you know, and we're going to protect against people being harmed. So a lot of that is about creating space, giving people the environment to be able to share their story, to understand that, you know, see one another in the Imago Dei. And a lot of what I even wrote in Advocates were was about some of the environments that we had to create in Blueprint in order to kind of run to this tension, um, because we had people at our church that voted for Donald Trump in 2016, President Trump. Um, And we also had people who thought you were the devil because you voted for President Trump, you know, and they were all in our church. And so we said, we have to run to the tension. And so we basically said, hey, we're going to spend the next six weeks and we're going to talk about this. And so we spent a part of it giving dignity to both sides. And we just ran to the tension, but we ran to the with the heart of reconciliation. And so those are the types of environments that you have to create. Um, And there was and, and it was from that. So much intensity, so much things that came out and this trauma was just going on everywhere. That That's when I started saying, oh, we also have to deal with our emotional health in this because yeah. we're 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 raging at one another. We're not yeah. we're not speaking the truth and love to one another. And part of it is, is that we're just expressing our impaired state of mm-hmm. kind of our, of our fear, of our shame you know, and just, um, and we're just kind of living that out. And so you're just seeing it fleshed out um, and manifested. And so really just trying to um, regulate people and trying to get back to the core of the gospel. And I think that's where um, what we do. So both in practice and in principle, both with Philemon and creating environments, you know, and creating safe spaces is kind of how we go about doing that. 
Man, that's good. I want to repeat a couple of those things that you said. Some real good principles there in terms of how do we create safe space. One, you said we got to get back to the Im image of God. That, and that's a that's giving dignity to every human. Like you are made in the image of God. You know, Mother Teresa said, "You'll never, I'll never look into another human without looking to the face of God." Like it was just a mm -hmm. powerful way to say, like if I really believe that God created every human to be a display uniquely of what he's like, then I'll give dignity to every human. So that's one thing you said, I thought that was really, really important is if we saw everybody that way. Second, this commitment that we're not leaving, like we're going to stay in this. Um, so I'm going to see you as a image bearer. I'm going to stay with you no matter how hard this gets. I'm going to tell the truth and give you a space to tell the truth about what we're experiencing, our feelings, you know, show, show up that way. And then realize that we're not here to we're not here to harm each other. So it might hurt when we tell the truth about these very difficult things, but no intentional harm is going to be done. And if it is done, then we're going to address it. We're going to deal with it in a way that says, "I'm not leaving." We're going to work through this. I just think all of that was really, really powerful in terms of how do we create these safe spaces. And then you said this, and I don't want the listeners to miss this. We have to listen to each other's story because we aren't where we're at and don't believe what we believe just because it's all objective. We've been shaped mm -hmm. by our story, by our narrative, by our upbringing, by our culture. I mean, all those things are really important. And if we can see each other as image bearers, know that their stories form them, be committed to not leave, and then also be honest about how our story has formed us. Because I think that's the part that I think we don't. We think we're objective, but they're not. Yeah. And the truth is, is we're all both objective and subjectively coming to these things and these conclusions are shaped by a lot more than just some simple facts. So that was really, really good stuff, man. I just didn't want the listener not to capture those key points. I think if we could create spaces that are hospitable and safe, that do what you just said, we might have a hope to get through this and be more united on the other side of it. Amen. Amen. Man, it's good stuff. And I, I you know, I, I admit I haven't read your book, but now I want to. Um, I, I love the perspective of being an advocate. And um, the gospel doesn't give us an option out of that because Jesus is our advocate. And if we're going to let the gospel impact us, then we become advocates for others. And we commit ourselves to the, the ministry of reconciliation because that's at the heart of the gospel. Amen. Yes. And that's, and that's, and I think that oftentimes it's lost and it's a lot and it's hard to do, especially in the midst of your, your pain. Yeah. You yeah. know, in the midst of your pain um, to do that. But like you said, the gospel doesn't give us any other alternative. And that's why he empowers us with the Holy Spirit to accomplish what we cannot do, you know? And so it's, it's, it's about trusting and relying you know, in the power and the presence of the Spirit to work in our lives to do the very things that we want to do, but we find ourselves not doing. Absolutely, Dahadi. If you wanted, if you had something last that you wanted to share at the end here, just to, for our listeners, and I, you know, like what's on the top of your heart, or your mind right now that you want to leave our listeners with. Well, I think the biggest thing is like, how do we bring our whole self? to the whole work that God is doing and has for each and every one of us, you know, with the, 
And I and so like I'm really excited about our conference coming up on October the 19th through the 21st. And really, you know, it's where we're talking about being a fully integrated leader about, you know, how do we engage with the complexity of all the issues that we've been talking about with our head, heart, mind, soul, and strength, right? And and do it in the context in which we live. So we've created basically kind of a seven-part um, things, series, components where we're bringing holes, our whole self to. Mm-hmm. And so I'm really excited about that. And again, it's, that's going to be at the conference, but it also in the city syllabus that we're just kind of this unpacking what does it look like? Because oftentimes it's kind of like if I'm trying to address like my theology issues, I go to one place. And if, but if I'm trying to address my soul issues, I go to another place. If I go my emotional issues, I go. And it's like and it's and none of them are not like syncing up with one another. And so what we're really trying to do is just like, man, what does it look like for us to understand that we don't live disintegrated, but but our discipleship is often disintegrated. And so what does it look like for both our churches and church leaders to empower them with fully integrated the Lord and, and the work that he's called us to do both with our head, heart, mind, soul, and strength? And I, and I think it's what the, the Bible says. It's this kind of like in Ephesians chapter four, again, it talks about until like we are a mature, complete man, right? Both individually and collectively that we are, we are trying to be one mature man in Christ, you know? And so, mm. yeah. So I'm excited about that, you know, and, and I'm also just excited about seeing churches planted ever since uh, the ability to focus. I love what I was doing with Sin Network. I love what I got a chance to do with NAM, seeing so many churches planted. But like I said at the very beginning, my heart is to be the last generation to leave the urban context for sound discipleship. And so just the ability to focus this last year and a half has this been amazing. I'm, I'm excited about doing that. And again, it's anybody ministering in majority minority spaces, right? Anybody in that. So it's not just Blacks or just Hispanics. It's anybody ministering in majority minority spaces. By the way, that's most cities in North America, you that's know, are right. minority majority. And so really, and that's the way that America is going. They say by the year 2040, America will be a majority minority country. And so I just think as, as evangelicals, we seem like we're always about 10 years behind the, the, the culture. It's just like, I mean, this is where we're going. This is where we are. And so we like, how do we begin to speak authoritatively, you know, um, with the gospel to these areas? Mm, man, thank you. So to find out more about the conference, they can go to myboulevard.co as well? Yeah, myblvd.co, myblvd.co. And you can learn about the conference. You can learn about uh, the city syllabus. You can learn about if you want coaching, if you're you're ministering in a new neighborhood and the neighborhood's changing. We have coaches all across North America to come alongside to helping anybody. Like we want to come alongside to help make disciples in majority minority spaces. Mm, so, and thank thank you so much for everything you shared. Thanks for what you're doing. Um, yeah, I've gotten to be in your the actual building where your church gathers on the block that like everything you're saying, like I can see it because I've gotten to be there and I'm really grateful for your commitment to stay in those spaces. I I pray more will be that convinced and convicted to do the hard work because it's not easy. Uh, It's not convenient. As you said about even your commitment to being in the SBC, it's about conviction. So thank you so much for your faithful conviction and the practice of living it out. 
Amen. But thank you. Well, thanks for joining us for the Saturate podcast. I hope you are inspired and encouraged, as well as receive some ideas of how you could take some next steps in the work God's called you to do in your own context. I want to let you know of another way that you might be able to receive some ongoing encouragement and equipping. You could visit saturatetheworld.com where we have a lot of our resources, our training, PDFs, videos, audio, a whole bunch of stuff to serve you in your journey towards being a disciple of Jesus who makes disciples in the everyday stuff of life. Now we're gonna provide a code for you to use if you'd like to try a two week free membership to our subscription-based services. That code, if you'd like to use it, is podcast2023. That's one word, all lowercase, podcast2023. And we'd love to just invite you to check out what we have online so that you can see if it's something that might serve you and maybe serve the people that you also lead or work with as you consider what it would take for you to get more and more equipping. It's our desire to make this available to as many people as possible. And so everybody who eventually pays for a monthly subscription makes it available for free for people who can't afford it. We've had the honor of being able to give almost 500 free subscriptions away this last year, and we're hoping to give even more to those around the world who can't afford the membership. But if you can, we'd love for you to consider it. Try it for free for a couple weeks, see if it serves you well. And if so, love for you to continue on and be a Saturate member. Second, I want to invite you to consider being a Saturate partner. And that's someone who's committed to pray and or also give to support the work of gospel saturation. What we do is completely based on fundraising and the money that comes in through the subscription and some of the products we're able to sell. But the majority of our work is funded by people like you who just believe in the work and want to see more of it done. So if you want to pray with us and join us in praying for gospel saturation, send us an email at hello at saturatetheworld.com. Let us know you want to be a prayer partner, and we'll begin to send you updates so you know how to pray specifically. And if you want to give, just go to saturatetheworld.com, click on the Give button, and you'll see all the instructions there to help you take a step towards supporting the work as a Saturate partner. Again, thank you so much for listening in, and I can't wait till you hear the next one. I hope we continue to encourage you with the work of gospel saturation in North America and around the world.